Hello, and welcome back to Juror Number One. This is Episode Eight. What'd you think of last week? Crazy stuff, man. Crazy. So again, this week, it's going to be another special episode like last week. Just one episode because the story takes so many twists and turns. And when the verdict comes, you're going to be shocked because I was blown away by this. And then what happens after? Oh, we're going to find out together, aren't we? This is episode eight, A Murder in Marcy. January 12th, 1969. Kimberly Simon was born in Marcy, New York. Kim was described as just a wonderful person, beautiful, smart, Everybody loved her. Countless people talked about how great of a person she was. Well, on September 18th in 1985, she was going to go meet some friends, go to a football game. So, like most people did back then, they thought it was safe to just go outside alone and walk. Well, Kim was walking to the high school to meet her friend. And her friend waited and waited and waited. Which was not Kim's character at all. She would never just not show up. So, her friend called Kim's parents because she was worried. Well, they were very worried too because she wasn't home and this was not like Kim. So, the town gets together and has a search party to go look for Kim. Well, they look and look and they can't find her. She's not checked in with her friends or her parents, so everybody is very worried. Well, the next day, they found Kim. And it wasn't good. They found her in the woods. She was uh, partially clothed. She'd been beaten and strangled to death and raped. 16 years old, beautiful young girl's life, taken in such a violent way. You have to think, how terrified was she in her last moments? It's absolutely disgusting. So, the investigation begins. They start questioning people, and some eyewitnesses come forward. Someone said that they saw Kim talking to a young man in the GMC or Chevy truck that was maroon or brown, right on that road that she would be walking on. Um, they said they saw her get in the car, and that was it. So another witness comes forward and says the same thing, that she saw Kim talking to someone in this maroon truck get in and leave and didn't think anything of it. So, 
who drives a truck like that? Well, they, they talked to a lot of suspects, but they zeroed in pretty quickly on Stephen Barnes. Stephen was just 19 at the time, and he had a truck that was similar to the truck that was last seen with Kim. So they bring him in, and they question him for 12 straight hours. This is just three days after they found Kim's body. And Mr. Barnes says, I drove that road that night, but I went to the bowling alley. I was there about 6 o'clock, and I was there all night. Tons of people saw me there, and then I uh, went home. Well, they didn't believe that. So they gave Stephen a polygraph test. The polygraph test comes back inconclusive. They don't know if he was lying or telling the truth, so it's thrown out. So they checked his truck. They looked through his whole truck for fingerprints, for hair, for anything that was a sign of Kim. And they found nothing. So they let him go. So what happens next? Well, two years would go by and they were still working on this case. So they finally came back to Stephen after two years and they wanted him to submit blood and saliva and hair. And right after that, they arrested him and charged him with rape, sodomy, and murder of Kim Simon. And so the trial begins. Well, the first thing up is there was seminal fluid found on Kim's underwear. And when that was compared to Stephen's sample, it was inconclusive. Okay? Remember that. The next few things is something I've never heard of. The word similar is going to be used a lot. Similar, not exactly similar. So, first up, this person testifies, testifies to this, that they took photographic evidence of the pattern of fabric on Kim's jeans and compared it to the pattern of fabric in Steve's truck seat and said that they were similar. This testified under oath. Similar. Okay. So strange. Well, next up, there was two hairs found in Steve's truck. And all that they could do was determine that those two hairs were not Stephen's hairs. They were similar to the victim's hair. Just similar to the victim's hair. And finally, one other thing that they had was they went back to where the crime scene was and took samples of the dirt and then compared them with samples on Steve's truck. But get this, when did this take place? 
It was a year after the crime they went back there to test this dirt. What could have changed in that time? But get this. The samples they found at the scene and the samples they took from uh, Steve's truck were, you guessed it, similar. Similar. That's it. What are we doing here, guys? Well, the trial moves on, and the defense is going to refute all this. They had the hair analyzed. They talked about the soil comparison, and they talked about the fabric print, and they said they cannot scientifically test that because they don't have any data to back it up. There's someone else that's coming forward that says he knows Stephen did it. Well, while he was in jail, a few cells down was Robert Stolo. He was in for forgery and larceny. Stand-up guy. He said after knowing Steve for just a week... He said that Steve told him that he did it. Stephen otherwise had been telling everyone there's no way he did this crime. But this informant came in and testified under oath that Steve did this. What? So, just so happens, he said on the stand that he did not do this to get a lighter sentence, but was only sentenced to one year for his forgery and larceny charges. Hmm. Strange, right? So, let's see what the defense has to say with all of these things that have been presented to you. First up, they had a forensic analyst, and he testified that no fingerprint that was found and Steven's truck matched the victims. Not one. Huh. And also they had the tire prints at the scene. Well, they didn't match Steven's tires. So all that other crap about the dirt that was similar from the crime scene to the tires, the tires didn't even match. Right? So, and then to cap all of this off, Several, several people come forward and testify under oath that they saw Stephen that night. He was at the bowling alley, like he said. Well, that's basically the case. Now, what would you do if you were the juror on this case? That's a lot of evidence, but a lot of it is easily proven wrong. Hmm. Well, Stephen Barnes was found guilty on all counts. Guilty, right? Oh my God, how? Everything that they were trying to prove was proven wrong. He was sentenced to 25 years to life in prison. Unbelievable, right? All of that evidence. The tire tracks, they didn't match him. They only had two witnesses that said 
that it was a truck that kind of looked like Stevens. They had everything was proven that not to point towards Stephen, everything. And then all the witnesses that testified, and they still found this man guilty. And poor, poor Stephen. He had a long road ahead of him, too. They finally got an appeal where they could test the DNA. And that was in 96. But it was inconclusive. So he'd have to wait another 11 years. And they tested the DNA again. And guess what? Yep, it wasn't him that did it. So, after serving 20 years in jail, he was exonerated. 20 years! With such a thin case. Oh my God, could, I couldn't imagine sitting there knowing that, like thinking, how in the hell did I end up here? It's unbelievable. So, now they're investigating the case again. And they start turning over more evidence they found out from the beginning, which is so strange. So strange. So, in this town, there was a couple areas outside of town where they would go party, like out in the woods. High school kids, everybody did it. I did it. Well, there's these two different spots where parties were happening that night. And a couple people at one of the parties said they saw Kim there. Which also, this person came forward back then, that should have immediately eliminated Stephen if they saw her at this party. So, this is where it gets really crazy. They said that they saw her with four other people. And these people were said to be like into satanic rituals and shit like that. And even more shocking, well, one of the witnesses said that they saw Kim having sex with one of these people. But it looked like that she'd been drugged and was unconscious so that's not sex, man. That's rape. Why wouldn't you stop that? Why wouldn't you tell somebody? Why? I mean, this is insane to me. So, some other kids that were partying that night at the other party, this is just chilling. They said around 1.30 or so, they heard this blood-curdling scream, which they think was Kim because around that area and the area of the other party they found some of Kim's possessions they found one white shoe by where this close to where this scream happened they found some of her other stuff down this road close to the other party why wasn't this investigated in the first place this should have never been 20 years has been wasted on a guy that was clearly innocent and to this day, they haven't caught the killer because strange things continue to happen. One of the persons of interest that they were thinking about interviewing about this passed away. Well, there was another person they wanted to question and that person committed suicide. 
And then another person committed suicide. So I feel terrible for Kim's family that all this time was wasted on someone who's innocent while their daughter's killer seemingly went out and just lived their life. Who knows who else they could have hurt? Crazy story, right? Crazy how that man got sent to jail. But what would you have done if you were the juror? That's the point of this podcast. And as me as a juror, I would have said 100% not guilty. But I wasn't there. So that concludes episode eight. Let me know if you like these versions of the episodes or the two episode versions. So I hope you enjoyed it. And I hope the real killer of Kim is either caught or burning in hell. Other than that, I want you to do me a giant favor and have a wonderful week. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.